Welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Now, your support by donations or leaving reviews at Apple Podcasts, sharing on Facebook, subscribing at SoundCloud and Spotify, they really make all the difference. Thank you so much for your support and spreading the word. Now, my guest today is the self-styled opposition leader of Jordan. He's certainly become disentangled from his country. He lives in exile in the London area, not welcome back home, not least by his own father. Jordan's government, the Hashemite Kingdom, is the largest, most ruthless and most vicious oppressor of the Palestinian people. Why, if you are so concerned with the Palestinians, Mr. Corbyn, why are you flying all the way at your party's own expense, first class, to meet the prime minister of the government that oppresses, tortures, jails, and kills Palestinians? Mr. Corbyn, you are a hypocrite, and I wouldn't—I'm not afraid to say—he's definitely more motivated by hatred for the Jews than any love for the Palestinians. Unless he shows us otherwise, then we'll believe it. I had to meet Mudar Zahran at a secret location by his request. He's restrained to a certain extent by security considerations, although not particularly in fear. Well, not at least when I met him. Before seeking asylum in the UK in 2010, Zahran was serving as the Assistant Policy Coordinator at the US Embassy in Amman. In 2014, he was indicted by a Jordanian military court on four separate charges against him, inciting hatred against the regime, sectarian strife, and insulting the king, as well as the security services. Now, according to the Jordanian newspaper Al-Khad, Zahran's social networking sites carried articles and phrases offensive to Jordan and his own people, the Palestinians. In February 2014, the Jerusalem Post reported that he'd been convicted and sentenced in absentia to jail with hard labour. Four years earlier, he'd written an article in the Jerusalem Post that described Jordan as an apartheid state in its treatment of the Palestinians. The article provoked an uproar of criticism by both Jordanians and Palestinians. And shortly after the article was published, Mudar sent a letter of apology through Amman News after his father Adnan threatened to cut off relations if the former wrote anything else. His parents were born in Jerusalem and moved to the West Bank when it was under Jordan's control before 1967. And he lays it to me straight. He is politically for Brexit, for Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. He told me the royal family were now on side and even Prince Charles was told so. His behaviour to the American president had changed. In between Trump's two visits to London, I was reliably informed. Now, Mudar hasn't got much truck for the current Hashemite king, Abdullah II of Jordan, who he comically called King Fakakta. That's Yiddish, for crappy. And when I asked him how he knew that word, he said he was educated and brought up in Manchester, New Hampshire, among Jewish friends. Now, in my podcast featuring Lynn Julius, she told me, quotes, I've yet to meet or hear from any Palestinian who would publicly recognise the Jewish state. Lynn will still be waiting after listening to this. And while stopping short of dropping the Palestinian rights of return to Israel, Zahran insists that most Jordanians of Palestinian descent aren't concerned with the right of return and that both sides should negotiate over what the right of return should look like. He says with him at the helm, Jordan and Israel can become, as America is to Canada, a giant democratic area of free trade and cultural integration between the two nations. He says the peace deal with the Hashemite kingdom isn't real. 
Jordan's state-controlled media broadcasts regular anti-Semitic and jihadist messages more akin to ISIS than genuine peace with Israel. The peace is secured only, Mudar says, as they couldn't possibly defeat the Jewish state. So, can a more honest and thorough peace be negotiated with a new regime with him at the helm? Does Israel care about how their peace partners behave internally as long as it's reasonably secure? Wouldn't, as Yaakov Perry, the ex-head of Shin Bet, told me in our podcast, a divorce with the Palestinians be better than a peace deal between countries who declare similar values? Now, more than one person has told me Mudar's not credible, nor is his so-called opposition movement. But nevertheless, he has been published multiple times. He's got up the noses of a dictator from a fairly vaunted social position. So here I am asking you to make up your own mind about what's at the very least of different and distinct voice from the Palestinian-Jordanian world. Here is Mudar Zahran, Secretary General of the Jordanian Opposition Coalition. Mudar, um, you made a very important point just as we um, launched this conversation before we put the tape on which is that a lot of Jews, a lot of Israelis, don't actually know what Palestinians want. As a Palestinian, tell us what you want. Well, first of all, I agree with your statement that most, the public, the Israeli and the Zionist public have no clue what the Palestinians actually want. Uh, you keep hearing to the so-called leadership like Abbas and the late Arafat and what they want. And uh, media always says the Palestinians want X, Y, Z. They never say it's Abbas who wants X, Y, Z. Well, Palestinian, majority of the Palestinians, and I can say this authoritatively, uh, most of them, depends on the location, the Palestinian majority, which is in Jordan, the Palestinian majority, which is in Jordan, uh, 6.2 million Jordanians of Palestinian heritage, according to a WikiLeaks cable, a U.S. Embassy Jordan cable that was made public by WikiLeaks, most of them, or actually it says all of them, want civil rights in Jordan, and they're not interested in the right of return. That's for the Palestinians in Jordan, and that's most of the Palestinians. The Palestinians in the West Bank, I have a published, uh, you know, story with the Jewish press newspaper. The Palestinians in the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, they want either Israel to return and take over, or they want the Palestinian Authority out at any cost. I can authoritatively say this with all comfort. They want Israel back. It's common sense. You keep reading those very juicy stories about Palestinian mothers who have vetted their children for jihad. But let's do the math. When there is an anti-Israel protest somewhere in, in uh, the West Bank, somewhere, Bethlehem, how many children do you see out there? You'd be lucky to count 20, 50 at best. The old days, uh, like for example the first and the second intifada, some protests did attract up to 100,000. At least 20,000. This is no more. People have changed. The Palestinians are seeking dignity over identity. And the Palestinian refugees all over the Arab world are not interested in the right of return. 
This all leads us to one place. All roads lead to Jordan, Amman, where we already have a state, where we already are the majority, where we already get along quite nicely with the uh, East Bankers or what some of you call the Bedouins, because there is no genetic or personal or social difference. So, you know, this is about just realizing the facts on the ground rather than uh, the so-called experts' theories about solving the conflict. Which brings us on to the subject of the article that you wrote in 2010, which precipitated your probably permanent exile from Jordan, where you called your country an apartheid state. Well, the Hashemite kingdom is an absolute apartheid state. The Hashemite kingdom follow tactics which I definitely have read in Nazi literature. For example, I could uh, definitely could never compare the suffering of the Palestinians uh, anywhere near the suffering of the Jews. Uh, but they designate our passports and our documents with some sort of um, mark that distinguishes a Jordanian of Palestinian heritage against others. So in Jordan, you know, we're banned and, uh, from government jobs, state jobs. We are the majority and we're banned from all of those positions. Uh, it's a country that definitely operates in the, it's the only remaining apartheid country in the world. And again, the, 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 the shocking and mesmerizing segregation tactics that the Hashemites uh, follow in Jordan, it's never covered by the media. Uh, this was not the only article. I've written a lot of articles about this, documenting Jordan's uh, king's apartheid policies. But two things must be noted here. That A, I have never received any interest not an iota of interest from the global media about this particular subject, not an iota of interest about uh, um, this from any international organization or government, no matter how much that government is critical of Israel. So again, it filters down to the fact that this is all about hating Jews rather than any love for the Palestinian. Um, another fact is what got me into basic trouble with the Hashemite Kingdom is when I published an article, a very detailed and well-researched article in the Middle East Forum uh, titled Jordan is Palestinian, in which I've, uh, I called for uh, sustaining peace through facts on the ground rather than through myth by basically recognizing Eastern Palestine, Jordan, as 78% of Palestine. And I've noted in that article that the only thing that's not Palestinian in Jordan is the royal family of 82 individuals. And once we have those gone, suddenly the whole game will change. So just to confirm, as a Palestinian, as a Jordanian in exile, you are happy to relinquish what is called the right of return, the UNRWA definition of millions of Palestinians to the State of Israel, which of course would lead to the destruction of the Jewish State. A, 
as I said before, it's I cannot relinquish that. I can definitely say that not, none of us could want it. Do you really think it's been the war? You know, this thing has gone now for seven, seven years. Do you really think that any of those uh, 70 years of generations, you know, people born of over 70 years, do you think any of them actually wants to return to Haifa and Tel Aviv and, uh, you know, Beit Shemesh, which where my native village is exactly opposite to Beit Shemesh? Um, anyways, the studies are out there. There are two, two studies, one by uh, the U.S. Uh, Department of State, uh, which which dictate, uh, states that the Palestinians in Jordan don't want the right of return and labels that particular cable uh, the, the grand bargain, quote, the grand bargain, and quote. You can search it on WikiLeaks' website. It states, it states that most Palestinians, or actually all of them, according to the cable, don't want to exercise the right of return. We need to do some, we need to apply some common sense here. The largest similar position of, to our case was um, the separation between India and Pakistan. 10 million people uh, immigrated or fled from both sides. Um, each individual, the Muslims who went to Pakistan and the Hindus who went to India, were automatically recognized as citizens. That's why we don't have a right of return problem on that border anymore. Um, it is necessary that my country, Jordan, recognize its, its rights. All wars are unf unfair, and the results of wars are usually unfair. It, it's our right to return to our native villages and towns in British Palestine, but at the same time, if we want to open up that chapter, we're going to have 800,000 Jews and their descendants demanding to return to Baghdad, Morocco, and even worse, they're going to start demanding their money. Um, I because think they would never, ever go back to Libya and Iraq and Tunisia and Algeria because they wouldn't be welcome and because there's a Jewish state. Uh, that's, that's true, but again... It's an unfair situation. They were extracted by force from their countries and thrown into a, a new country which they did not necessarily want to be in Israel. That's a fact. It's unfair. The same way what happened to us as Palestinians was unfair. All wars are unfair. And the results of wars are usually ignored, you know, and people move on. For some reason, the globalist world, you know, powers in the world don't want to seem to let the Palestinians and the Israelis move on. They are telling me, a man who's never, you know, I mean, even my father, you know, he, he don't necessarily remember how Palestine looked like. They are telling us now in 2019 that we must return to liberate Palestine. It doesn't make sense. And it's basically a, a, a you know, a, a story. A, just you know, very very similar to the to Santa Claus, uh, the fairy tale, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, Spider Man. You're listening to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. If you like my regular podcasts, please think about making a donation. My podcasts are free, 
and I want to keep them free. And so donations really help me keep them that way. Head over to my donations page at www.patreon.com slash Johnny Gould. Just bring you back to what you talked about with India and Pakistan. This transferal of population, the millions of Muslims who were in what is India today before 1947, and the millions of Hindus that were down in what is Pakistan today, their transfer of population caused death and destruction. It caused a terrible civil war before the settlement of the two nations, and of course now. There is tremendous tension between India and Pakistan, which comes and goes through the years. Now, of course, if that was to ever replicate itself, as you say, the globalists support, as you call them, it would precipitate probably the beginning of not just a regional conflict, but possibly a world war as well. Well, ironically, the globalist you know, figures around the world, they keep talking about World War Three. Isn't it a coincidence that Jordan's king, you can definitely check his last 10 interviews. He has not been getting a lot of interviews lately. For the last two years, the media has not has <laughs> become very reluctant to interview a man with such, with such a bad reputation. But that being the case, in, in the last three interviews he's had with the American medias, Despite the fact that they have, there are months in, bet- in between them, he keeps mentioning World War Three. What's this obsession with World War Three? Why they keep describing the Arab-Israeli conflict as a prelude to World War Three? What is it? What is it? What is this obsession with the conflict? Is it hatred for the Jews? Well, there's no question that, you know, anti-Semitism is, you know, has been the sports of the globalist and the elite in many places. But this obsession with keeping the tension between the Palestinians and the Israelis, creating identities that are bogus in the area to sustain the problem. For example, I am a Palestinian. We definitely are different uh, from the Kuwaitis. But are we different from the our so-called brother, Jordanian brothers? Are we different from them by any means or chance? So you see, this is a very uh, coerced, well-planned, generously financed, and media-covered, in fact, the most media-covered conflict in the world. And again, we go down to the numbers. How many people have been killed in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Um, I, I didn't have the exact figure, but is it comparable at all to the to those killed in Syria or killed in Myanmar or killed in Bosnia? So what makes it what what is it that makes the globalist forces refusing to let go of that conflict at all? It shows that to a great extent we are being used, both of us, Palestinians and Israelis. We are being used as, you know, chess, 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 chess pieces, ca- chess pieces to, to, to play this forward. So the biggest abruption of this globalist uh, agenda that you refer to was the election of Donald Trump as U.S. president. 
and perhaps on a lesser scale, uh, an assault on globalism in Europe, the decision of the British people, 52% to 48%, to vote for Brexit. How far can Donald Trump go? First of all, he has to win a second term. But would you um, accept that actually he may have done more for the potential of reaching an end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with his decisions to move the embassy to Jerusalem and with his decision to kick the PL out of uh, Washington and other such uh, positions that he's taken in the conflict in his first few years as president? Well, President Trump definitely is uh, the worst thing that has happened to the globalist agenda in uh, more than a hundred years. President Trump's uh, perception of the Arab-Israeli conflict, he said it, uh, his view for a solution is based on reality on the ground rather than myth and, uh, you know, theories created by so-called experts. And these are the president's words in the United Nations. So he moves he's taken. One is, you know, removing uh, the PLO from America. The PLO is an unelected entity. The PLO has been more destructive to the Palestinians than any foreign power. And the PLO has done quite a good number, killing Palestinians. Uh, PLO is corrupt. And PLO was created and sustained for the purpose of sustaining the conflict. Um, Think about it. 1973, around the time I was born, I think uh, that around that time, Arafat uh, addressed the United Nations. How on earth could a terrorist address the United Nations? How was he able to enter every single circle and place on earth that matters, including the White House? This is all, it would be absolutely naive to say that Uh, Many Western forces are not an accomplice to what happened. And Trump is right in the wrong. And uh, he is our man. He is, in my opinion, the Palestinian's man in the White House by uh, refusing that. Uh, Speaking about Jerusalem, I can speak the facts because I have relatives there. They all want Jerusalem to stay with Israel so they can get the Israeli benefits and welfare plus the economic opportunity. Evidence of that is uh, a recent poll showed uh, 70% of Arab Jerusalemites wants wants, uh, Jerusalem to remain with Israel. So honestly, Trump is doing what the Palestinians whisper in secret. So this explains a long way in this country why Jeremy Corbyn calls himself a friend of Hamas and Hezbollah. Can you try and explain, as an outsider to Britain, Mudar, even though, of course, you've lived here for some time, and I'm quoting part of Jeremy Corbyn's comments about uh, Zionist irony with that question, can you explain to me how the Labour Party brought Corbyn into the Labour leadership uh, election uh, three years ago, and how on earth he won? How has this hard-left takeover of Labour been allowed to happen? Well, my question to Mr. Corbyn, you know, thank you, sir. You seem very interested and passionate about the the rights of my people. But I just want to ask Mr. Corbyn, why would he fly to Jordan a few months ago, actually just a few months ago, to meet with Jordan's prime minister uh, 
Jordan's government, the Hashemite Kingdom, is the largest, most ruthless, and most vicious oppressor of the Palestinian people. Why, if you are so concerned with the Palestinians, Mr. Corbyn, why are you flying all the way at your party's own expense, first class, to meet the prime minister of the government that oppresses, tortures, jails, and kills Palestinians? Mr. Corbyn, you are a hypocrite. And I would, I'm not afraid to say, he's definitely more motivated by hatred for the Jews than any love for the Palestinians. Unless he shows us otherwise, then we'll believe it. How could he, on earth could Mr. Corbyn have any sympathy for Hamas? You realize what Hamas did to my people? You realize what, how Hamas kills, tortures people, and, and makes some people disappear in Gaza? I, this shows what exactly is wrong with many in the establishment in the West, and Mr. Corbyn is definitely a poster child for that very wrong. There is a massive digital and electoral fight going on in the so-called free West with Corbyn and his cohorts on one side and Trump on the other. They couldn't be uh, more poles apart. So my question is, in this confused world of, I don't know, post-war lack of conflict where we attempt to use the, you know, law, democracy to solve our problems. How are we ever going to achieve peace, the end of this globalist war, as you call it, between Israel and Palestine? How are we ever going to... And, 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 and will this stop in 100 years, 200 years? You know, when's this going to happen? Well, it won't happen before the regime in Jordan changes. I can't afford to be any a diplomatic, not even to, a little bit with this. The obstacle to this is what are the, the biggest problems in the Arab-Israeli conflict? The problems is with the right of return of the refugees, the, uh, the welfare of the refugees, living, them living well and with dignity and all, and then uh, the issue of Jerusalem. The issue of Jerusalem, how could a foreign king, a foreign king who has, who's not an Israeli, not a Jew, not a Palestinian, not a native to the country, how could on earth could he have control over Al-Aqsa Mosque? Once the Hashemite kingdom, the Hashemite, 82 members of the Hashemite royal family are expelled from Jordan through peaceful means, they would have, no one else would have a mandate over Al-Aqsa. And then we have Jews, local Jews and local Arabs of Jerusalem would have to create a joint council that actually organizes affairs in Al-Aqsa and kicks out foreign influence. The Jews don't want to take over Al-Aqsa. The Jews want to just pray by the wall. And as long as no one throws rocks at them, as long as nobody, you know, stabs the gods in, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the Temple Mount and Al-Aqsa ground, the Hashemites, if they get out of the window, this is fixed. Why? Um, you, you read the statement from 2015 from the Israeli government itself. I'm reading quote for quote, word for word. They said, Jordan's government is an accomplice by incitement and action towards detention on, on the Temple Mount. So jo Jordan's regime is a part of the problem. As far as the right of return, 
Most Palestinians, or all of them, according to studies, want to stay in their country of residence, Jordan, instead of being uh, sent back home or have exercising the right of return. Well, the King of Jordan, even though we all of us hold Jordanian passports, keeps telling us that we're not citizens, that we must liberate Palestine. And this is what he officially says. This is what he openly says. Just go check his interviews in Arabic. What he keeps, what his media keeps telling us, what his system, you know, when you apply for a state job in Jordan, they, they're not shy to tell you you're a Palestinian. Go find, these are the words, go find a job in your country. So all of this oppression, which has been overlooked by the media, and even overlooked by, you know, a, 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 some Israelis and Jews with intense cases of Stockholm Syndrome, all of the, these problems could get solved once the king is out. And as long as the Hashemites, the small family of 82 individuals, are ruling 78% of Palestine, we will never know peace. This there's a window and an opportunity with President Trump in office that if Abdullah is removed through peaceful means, that Trump would definitely help the right person to take over in that country. And I am obviously am promoting and advocating my cause and I want to become Jordan's next president. I have the popularity, I have the fellowship and I have the merit and I have the clan's support. My, my, my tribe is in the in access of 40,000 individuals. So basically, um, we're going to kick Jordan's king out, like it or not. We're going to win. We're going to kick Jordan's king out through peaceful means. And then on the first day, Jordan will become to Israel what Canada is to the United States. Mark my words. Because of what you say, we are talking in London. You are in exile. You cannot go back to Jordan until that moment uh, that uh, King Fakakta, as you rather amusingly called him when I got in the car. Um, because, of course, uh, you were tried in absentia for four separate charges, inciting hatred against the regime, sectarian strife, and insulting the king as well as the security services. And then uh, just at the start of 2014, um, the Jerusalem Post reported that you'd been convicted and sentenced to jail with hard labor. Um, leaders of the opposition in free countries don't live 1,800 miles away. In free countries, exactly, sir. In free countries. In my country, leaders of opposition get killed. And here's the question. Um, there's, there are scores of opposition figures in Jordan. Why am I the only one, the only one who's been sentenced to life in prison by the king in a, a, a military court? Why am I the only one? Well, that definitely is my token and my evidence of influence and uh, actually my merit. That said, um, Jews were in exile for 2,000 years plus and they're back home. And, uh, you know, our prophet Muhammad was in exile. Uh, Charles de Gaulle was in exile before he liberated his country. I can tell you, you will live to see it. This is a process. This is like a chess game, not controlled by, not controlled by uh, time. 
and uh, we will win. And what helps me here are words from my great father. He's 71 year old. Growing up, he used to teach me this. He used to tell me, son, speak in Arabic and think in Hebrew. <laughs> and thinking in Hebrew, Jews are very patient people. I'm patient, I'm capable, and I know we will be successful. Can I ask you if your Jordan will be Canada to Israel's America, or the other way around, as you see fit, they both are pretty good nations to me. What are you going to do with your um, co-patriots who run Gaza, the Hamas terrorists, the Islamic Jihad terrorists, which will be part of your Palestinian constituency? Well, they don't want your version of peace. Hamas, you know, again, all problems began with Jordan. Most of you don't understand how significant Jordan is to all of this. What is Hamas? What is Hamas? Hamas officially, officially is, quote unquote, the Palestine chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan. Hamas is controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan. This is why Hamas keeps refusing truces and ceasefires because the decisions come from Amman. This is no secret. This is something that's ABC knowledge to the intelligence agencies in Israel. I speak to some of them. They know this, but they're too embarrassed to tell you that publicly that they are Jordan's Muslim Brotherhood in Hamas, and who controls Jordan's Muslim Brotherhood? Jordan's Muslim Brotherhood is fully controlled by Jordan's king. I know some Jews, especially some American Jews, like so-called uh, experts, you know, who work in you know places like potentially the Middle East Farm or others, would come and say, "Oh, this is a conspiracy theory," and you need just to maybe get an Arab-speaking person to do the Googling for you. I'm not asking you more than to Google the statements of the king and the statements of the Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan. He meets only with them. He refuses to meet with any opposition or any political movement in Jordan. He only meets with the Muslim Brotherhood. Muslim Brotherhood went as far as saying, and this is all documented, went as far as saying we support the king to the end. Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan, the Muslim Brotherhood to Abdullah, to King Fakakta, is pretty much like what the Ba'ath party is to Saddam Hussein. Or what, in a much, in a more, you know, more similar, more, okay, in a closer analogy, it's pretty much like what the, you know, the Tories is uh, the Tories are to, uh, to 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 Theresa May. The Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan is Jordan's king's party. They are the government's party. He never speaks against him, by the way. He never ever speaks against him. He refuses to ban him. Refuses to shut down the offices. That's a completely different discussion. But if the snake's head, which is Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan. King, King's regime, if, they, if that's cut, Hamas is the snake's tail. Their finances come from Amman. Okay, Iran pays for the money. 
but finances come through Jordanian banks and Jordanian diplomats. And I say this again, against through Jordanian bank and diplomats. Israel knows this. The command and control comes from Amman. So if you cut the head, that's it. The rest is just details. It's going to take some time for Hamas influence to wind down in Gaza. And we need to sustain uh, the isolation of Hamas itself in Gaza. And eventually our people, uh, the biggest and most important fact is Jordan will be a thriving country that has its doors wide open for Gazans to arrive and claim aliyah or citizenship upon arrival. So Jordan, and by the way, most people may not know, Jordan's current current citizenship law or citizenship act says that all Palestinians are natural born Jordanians. So basically the king is not carrying out his own, his own laws. One final question on current affairs in the slightly broader region. America is sending uh, more reinforcements militarily to defend their positions uh, in Iran in terms of for oil tankers. Iran's Revolutionary Guard shot down American drones. What should Donald Trump do with Iran? It's not a question of what will President Trump do. It's a question of when. There will be, uh, you know, uh, first of all, we're not, we're very confident that the president will, will show Iran who's the boss, to be exact. Uh, let's remember that also on the brighter side, um, what Iran is doing is basically just, you know, causing problems that are not of any significant magnitude. They are causing trouble, but they're not launching a war because they cannot launch a war. Could Iran ever arrest U.S. Marines like it did under Obama? Never. Uh, we expect, we, we're not expecting a war. Our sources in uh, D.C. confirmed that there could be a very decisive strike against Iran, but not a war and nothing of major magnitude. But I think Iran would needs uh, a couple slaps in the face to know who's boss. And again, it's the realm of the region. Unfortunately, most government of the region, I don't care if it's Saddam Hussein, King Fakakta of Jordan, uh, you know, any of those people in the region, they would not actually take threats seriously until they, they've tasted some of it. So I think the president should give Iran a little, a little taste of medicine and things should go well after that. I can say, tell my Israeli and Jewish friends, plus our brothers and sisters in uh, the Gulf, the Arab Gulf, that uh, there, there will not be a massive war, so they do not need to worry. Mudar Zahran, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, and uh, salam alaikum and shalom to all of your listeners everywhere. Alaikum salam. Alaykum salam. Alaykum salam.